There's definitely a movement for women to demand their power and we already have it. We already have it. It's just owning it and asking ourselves, being curious enough to say, how is my bias changing my filter on the world that I don't see this value, that I don't, that I don't own this power, or I don't recognize what this power is. And just staying curious about that will lead you down a path of discovery that will change probably the way you see yourself, probably the way you see men, you know, probably the way you see the life experiences that you've had. As long as you can sit back and be an observer of that, just a curious observer, your world does a total 180. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. Welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. This show is about helping you to be more healthy and fit in mind, body, and spirit, as well as tap into your intuition, your true source of power, and awaken your authentic self. Do you feel like you're just not satisfied in your life? Like something's wrong with you. Like you look around and other people just seem to be kind of more okay with the way their life is and how things are going. But you just feel like this gnawing sense of like, is this it? Like, I don't know. I just feel so unsatisfied. Or maybe even you're struggling with depression and you don't even want to admit it. And you just kind of lost that zip or you feel anxious or worse, you feel guilty. Like when you're doing one thing, you think you should be doing the other. You're with the kids. You think maybe I should have more of a career or you're working. You're like, God, I'm being a really bad mom or dad. Well, what if I told you that those qualities and that way of being isn't that something's wrong with you, but it's because of actually a genetic strength. Something about you and your biology with the way that you were uniquely wired that has set you up to be a driven, high achieving person that maybe wants more in life. You're going to love today's show because today's show, my guest is Megan Terwilliger and she is a writer and a coach for the company I Am Driven. She's a former collegiate and professional volleyball player and marketer. And now she's a mom of three. And I'll add a mom of three kids under five. In fact, when we recorded this, she had her little nine-week-old daughter right nearby. And she also has a couple dogs. So this woman has her hands full but she's still driven. <laughs> in 2020, shortly after the birth of her daughter and the shutdown of the world, she became exploring psychology, self-help methods, holistic health, and mindfulness. And now she works with Dr. Doug Brackman, and she provides content and coaching as well as retreats with Dr. Doug to any driven individuals. This is really a fascinating show and one that really spoke to me personally as a driven female in the world uh, because we talk about that shamed-based personality and how the key for being driven and a high achiever is your why. You know, are you, are you motivated by fear or are you made, motivated by love? And we also talk about ways women are different from men in being driven and if that they are in fact different at all. And the importance of intrinsic value versus extrinsic value. This is a really key concept that we all need to wrap our brains around to help addressing the feelings of worth and being enough and being basically happy with our lives. Like where is your value perceived coming from intrinsically or extrinsically? Super important. We talk about future casting and why is it that a lot of driven women and people have trouble with the concept of surrender. Why is it scary for us and how we can get around that? The importance of control and safety and trust and what happens when the toxic masculine or the toxic feminine come out in all of us. And surprisingly, we talk about the importance of solitude 
for women and how women need to have solitude. We might not think of it that way because everyone thinks of women as nurturers and family and taking care of everybody and community and all that. So really interesting that Megan brings out how solitude is very important for women. And I asked Megan about self-sabotage and the fear of change, the trouble with boundaries, and finally, how we can balance our home and our career as a woman. It seems like it's the perpetual struggle that so many women have nowadays. How do we do it? How do we be a driven, successful, fulfilled woman professionally and still have a happy, fulfilling home life? Or how do we just have a home life and be a mom and feel totally fulfilled, happy, and not guilty or less than anybody else with that? Super important questions, I think. So if you want to learn how to own your power rather than demand it, how to have intrinsic self-value and just be more at peace and content with your life and who you are, you're going to love today's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Please subscribe, share the show, and I would be super grateful if you left a review. Let's now join Megan. Welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. This show is about helping you to be more healthy and fit in mind, body, and spirit, as well as tap into your intuition, your true source of power, and awaken your authentic self. I am really excited to have the guest on the show today that we have. Megan Terwilliger is with us today. Megan, I knew I was going to screw up your last name. I think I did a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm so sorry. Say it correctly for our audience. Got it. You got it the second try. Terwilliger. And honestly, it, it I'm happens say all it the time. Day. We just go by Twig now. Like twig, uh, twig, Twiggy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, wait here, right? Terwilliger. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. And I was practicing too. And it's like, it's definitely like one of those- It's a mouthful. One of those mind things of like, don't screw it up. So I did. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you for being so gracious. And uh, I am so excited to talk to you, Megan, because wow, your work is fascinating to me. You have been a deep dive in the study of the work with uh, Dr. Douglas Brackman, right? It's a Douglas or Doug? I don't know. Um, he usually goes by Dr. Doug, but yeah, his, oh, Dr. Doug. Douglas Perfect. Brockman. Talking about ambitious, driven people, you, you're, all your content is kind of around that. And it's so perfect for my show because we really want to delve into your wisdom for women in particular and about being driven and ambitious and how we harmonize all of who we are while still doing that and remaining sane and happy. Mm -hmm. You know, so I can't wait just to hear your findings. And before we get into that, though, we have to talk about your background, too, and what brought you into this line of work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I originated as uh, an athlete. I played college volleyball um, and then pursued um, entrepreneurships after I bounced from company to company for a few years, which as we'll, we'll talk about is really common for Drivens um, to you know, reinvent themselves frequently. Um, I ran and was a part owner in a marketing company for several years. And then I found Dr. Doug uh, and I read his book Driven and identified with it very much um, and started working with him. And we really um, together ended up diving into the nuance and differences for driven women specifically. So the last couple years, I've been really focused on that just you know, intense curiosity about it um, and, and just studying and then trying to help other women kind of discover that for themselves too. Mm -hmm. I like to start with my guests on just really being very fundamental, like uh, clarifying terms. So sure. I, I find it interesting you guys refer to it as the word driven as opposed to ambitious or high achiever, you know, different cinnamons that we, I guess we, we, can, we can associate with that quality. How would you define driven? So um, Doug always jokes um, that he could have titled his book, The Shame-Based Personality Type, but he wouldn't have sold as many copies. Oh, so ouch. Yeah. Driven yeah. Is, is very much um, kind of a euphemism for this almost uh, fear-based drive that pushes us to, to go longer than others would go, to push further than others would push, to constantly be looking over the horizon. Um, and it's, it's very common in athletes and entrepreneurs, 
um, in different military, like we, uh, we work with a lot of Navy SEALs and it is the hunter mentality of, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, um, agriculture made a lot of us into farmers, you know, very linear thinkers, very patient, um, uh, you know, very executive, high executive function. And then those um, who did not adapt to being a farmer still have that hunter mentality. And we, we get diagnosed with ADD, OCD, um, because we're multi thinkers, we are very quick to hop from one thing to the other. And it's all things that benefited us when we were in that hunter gatherer stage, you know, we needed to have resilience and recover quickly to go hunt the next thing, or we needed to be able to look over the horizon to go find food. You know, we couldn't sit in one place. Um, and those don't, those characteristics don't bode as well for our modern day society. And there's a lot of shame tangled up in the fact that we are so different. Aha. Uh -huh. So, wow. I find it really interesting that that whole, what he was going to name the book, the shame-based personality, and particularly that he thinks of it as being fear-driven. Because I always, I don't, I actually always kind of thought of being ambitious as a good thing um, because our culture kind of rewards, you know, productivity and making something of your life type thing rather than being a lazy bum type thing. Obviously taken to the extreme, workaholism and all that, obviously it's not. But um, I guess it's, it's a matter of degree then, right? Like when does it cross the line into shame-based and, and in particular fear-based, like you're being driven by fear rather than being pulled because of a passion, you know? Right. And, and that's usually where we go with people. Like the other part of not naming the book shame-based personality type is we kind of you give away the punchline up front because what we're trying to understand yeah. is what is driving that ambition. Yeah. Well, I think that's so fascinating that when it's fear-based is basically what can lead to burnout, whereas opposed to, I just, I mean, that just hits the nail on the head as opposed to when it's really your passion driving you Although, I don't know, it's like you can still get burnt out then too, because you just don't have the boundaries. It's like when you turn it off and that's, yeah. that's a challenge when you have your own business and stuff or, or when what you, you do what you love and you know, the, the, the fine line between your lifestyle and your work, like me, it's always like, oh God, when do I stop? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the work that we've been doing recently and what we're kind of diving into for um, our new book, Doug and I are working on another book that's really around um, identity and all the things that we do and the ways that we push for this identity that we make for ourselves. Um, so mm -hmm. that's what we try to do with people. We try to understand like, is your shadow your drive? Is that what's driving you? And what's the, the healthier, you know, more like self-fulfilling way to do that? Oh, wow. Well, that's going to be a very interesting book because, you know, people are, it's getting really vogue right now to talk about ego and shadow work and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And, you know, the, the discussion between ego being a good thing or a bad thing. And, you know, what I always say is, well, you gotta have, you have to have an ego, otherwise you're not individuated. I mean, For it's, sure. it's not that it's a bad thing, but wow, that's really interesting. One so, of my favorite phrases of, or like sayings about ego is that it's a great employee, but a terrible boss. There you go. Yeah, that's so true. I've heard that about the mind. Mind mm -hmm. is a terrible, mm -hmm. terrible master. Um, or no, I'm screwing that up. What is he? The mind is a, a wonderful servant. Yeah, a bad master. Something yeah. of the same yep. regard. All right. So driven. All right. I guess what we're saying is, is as long as the why behind it is coming from a place of a pull and a love and a passion rather than a, a, maybe a subconscious fear-based drive to be good enough or to do more or to have value or to be approved of, that's when it crosses the line into the shame negative thing. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, yeah, that shame, that, that wanting to belong to the herd um, or... Yeah. It's a, it's an overemphasized internal locus of control. Everything is my fault. Yeah. This, this bad thing happened and it's my fault. Um, and that creates that shame and that drive to get out of it because everything is my fault. I have control over it. And, and we know that logically, we know that that's not necessarily true. But what about all the people that feel that way, but almost go to the other end of the spectrum and they kind of get par paralyzed and they don't do anything, they withdraw. Like, cause when I think of the ambitious driven person, I think of just the door, they got a million things on their plate and they're, you know, just checking off the accomplishments, you know, what about mm -hmm. the people that feel that way, but kind of go, go within, you know, they go the other direction. 
Yeah, it's definitely a sliding scale and you can have um, too much of an external locus of control, which is the world happens to me. I, you know, I can't do anything about it. And for driven, those, those are very frustrating people to have conversations with. Yes, true. Well, I took your online quiz and wow. Yeah. Mm, I already knew yeah. I was, but it's like, it was oh, man, like that's me. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And the bold letters was like, you are driven. I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I kind of knew that, but, and I do want to, I have a couple points about that quiz. I thought was interesting um, that I definitely would recommend everybody go and take. But one of the things that, uh, that I found in the research was driven is high tolerance for risk taking and can think of multiple concepts at once, especially resilient and always looking toward the horizon, like the futuristic thing. Mm-hmm. That's definitely, definitely me. All right, so some ways that women in particular are different being driven than men who are driven. What have you found in your research? Um, I, we found that not necessarily there's a ton of difference in the traits, but there's a lot of difference in the perception of those traits for that gender. Um, so there's a lot, again, that identity piece, there's a lot that gets tangled up for women in that horizoning piece that always wanting to accomplish more um, because women kind of feel this dissonance between motherhood and career success. And a lot of times, the perception is that men don't have to choose and women do. Um, Or that in general, like women being very driven and hard charging is is perceived much more negatively than men doing the same thing. And and I'm not saying that that is true. Those are just observations or like cultural things that we all tend to recognize. Um, The nuance of how those traits are perceived in what we've said, like, this is the box for women. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. And it's definitely, you know, changing. But overall, I think women are still carrying the load of the kind of the double. And a lot of women who kind of inherently are driven or they had a great career and then they had kids after, there's more of that conflict of pull between the two worlds. And you know, I know for me, it's like, there's just the constant guilt one way or the other, either when you're at work, you're like, oh, I really need to be spending more time with the kids or, you know, not at the soccer practice. Or then when you're there, you're like uh, thinking, oh man, I'm just falling behind in work. So how do, how do you help women kind of grapple with that? Um, I think it's that first step of understanding what's driving them. Um, in my, my personal work has been all about really understanding my true value and how valuable being is and motherhood is in just being it's not an accomplishment thing it's not a checklist thing and that changing that thinking to it being worthwhile even though there's no pro like quote unquote productivity behind it um because what was driving me was to be worthy i have to accomplish you know to be worthy i have to make money i have to stack up with these men in the world and and ultimately what i've discovered for myself is that's not true like i am worthy and i am valuable inherently without any of those accomplishments um and and they're completely different types of value um steven sisler um is uh someone that we have interviewed on our podcast and has an amazing assessment Um, of values. And he talks about extrinsic versus intrinsic value. And extrinsic value is very productive, very task oriented. You know, if, if you die, they replace your work role. Whereas intrinsic value is if you die, people are sad because Mm. you were valuable. Um, And I always, I give a really like crass, rough comparison of if you set a pile of $10 million on fire and you set your daughter on fire, like there are very different feelings about the value there. Um, and intrinsic value is what motherhood value is. So it's helping women understand these are two completely different buckets, you know, that you can fill. And as long as you're not filling this extrinsic value bucket, thinking that it's going to make you feel more intrinsically valuable, then you have an easier time. I, I, tend to believe juggling those things or making decisions on what's more important right now. That is just such a million dollar issue that we're talking about right here. Cause it comes down mm-hmm. to your, your, your inherent self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that is malleable? Like how much of that can really be 
achieved uh, or, or how much of it is dependent on, you know, just the way you were brought up and taught to really love and value yourself. Like, is I think, you know, a lot of people struggle with feeling enough and worthy. And I think intrinsically it's, it's rare, frankly. Yes. I think, I think we have as a society have pushed down that intrinsic value. You know, if you talk about patriarchy and you talk about, you know, capitalism and we we've just shaped our society in a way that overemphasizes productivity or you know success as it pertains to money and leverage and things like that um and it's really hard to bring to the forefront that intrinsic value another one of my favorite sayings i forget who cf lewis maybe um is that motherhood is the job for which all other jobs exist yeah and True. I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. Like you, you can't replace it. You can't replicate it. You can't scale it. Mm-hmm. And it is the most important. Um, but yeah, it, it's all about what, what was modeled for you. And then having the awareness to say like, what is my self-worth? Like you have to go and find these mirrors. Um, I took Steven Sisler's assessment and it said, yeah. your self-worth is like rock bottom. And I'd been doing work like, you know, Mm-hmm. In the inner work for two years. And I was like, how is my self-worth that low? Wow. And it was all around future Megan is good enough. Right now, Megan never is good enough. <laughs> yep. And it was that horizoning. Well, I'll be good enough when I get the, I'll, you know, out here, future mm-hmm. Megan is always good enough, but it, right now, Megan is never good enough. Wow. Um, future so, casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always that just curiosity about, well, what does self-worth look like? What does it feel like? What does it look, what does it feel like for me or look like for me to be worthy? And asking those questions help me change my bias. But our, I think our biases do a lot for our self-worth too. Cause what I recognized was, well, it's not that I'm not worthy. It's that I am looking for confirmation that I'm not worthy instead of looking for confirmation that I am. So my husband does lots of things throughout the day to show me how valuable I am, but my bias only looks for the ways that he is ignoring me, the ways that I'm not enough, you know? Um, so it's, it's less about changing what's happening around us than it is about changing the filter that we see things through. And how did you do that, Megan? Asking questions, um, journaling. I do a lot of journaling for self-reflection. Like mm-hmm. I had to... I had to literally make the assumption that I am extremely worthy and people treat me that way. That's the hard, that's the hard Mm. part to, to, Mm -hmm. to say to yourself, people already treat me that way. Let me look for examples of it instead of what, what was in my mind was looking for examples of, and and that works a lot. I think for women in professional careers, you know, you're looking for that bias of they treat me differently because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. in a negative way versus saying they respect me or I am worthy of this role and people believe that mm-hmm. and then going and looking for that evidence. I love it. That's so excellent. And you mentioned how your husband is, you know, showing you in a million ways how he values and supports you. And I was thinking earlier when we first went down this track of like, well, then how important is, well, again, in your situation with like a young mother, with a husband, how important is it in the spouse's or partner's um, attitude towards your value? You know, because I think of the women who, you know, their husband's like, doesn't really appreciate how hard it is to be a mom, you know, and that kind of stinks. I mean, I guess they're kind of in a jam, like your, your significant other has to be on board with the, with the value of what it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's way. really scary. I think that's yeah. really scary um, for moms. And it's still scary for me. And we have open dialogue about it. It's scary mm-hmm. to say like, I, my heart's pursuit is for my children right now. Mm-hmm. I hope my partner sees how valuable that is. Mm-hmm. That's a scary feeling to, cause you can't, you can't control what other people think. Um, mm-hmm. And that's scary to, to wonder, does he really appreciate how valuable this is or, or to the level that I think it's valuable? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, I don't have the answer for that so much as I suggest open dialogue about it. Yeah, I guess that's all you can do. And just, but I like the way you kind of take the locus of control back on yourself and kind of set up to 
you know, almost uh, you're looking for the affirmation for what of what you want rather than what you don't want, you know, like looking for the proof that, oh, okay, see, I am valuable. And, oh, he did, you know, I don't know, wash the dishes when he knew I was too tired at the end of the day or whatever, just kind of looking for the good, so to speak, without... Yeah. And that's another assumption that, that I have chosen to make about men in general. I've learned a lot about men in doing this work as well. And it's that generally men do respect women. Men do want to take care of women. Like their, their highest purpose is to protect. And I choose to believe that that is men's divine masculine coming through. That's their deepest desire. And when you make that choice, it's easier to say, of course, he values this. He may not articulate it. You know, he may not consciously know how to make the argument for it. But if I do it, if I show him this is valuable to me and what it does for our children in our home, he will see that. And I have to trust that. I love that. Hey, cutting in here for a moment to share with you, I've got my buddy Ross Newkirk here from Conscious Technologies. And you know, everybody's looking to raise their vibration. How can I just have better mojo, be in more harmony, more flow? I love that Ross has created so many products that I use personally to help me raise my vibration and even harmonize my vibration. So Ross, the Core Harmonizer is one of the key technological products that you guys have designed to help us raise our vibration. Can you just tell us what makes it unique? How, in fact, does it raise our vibration so effectively? Well, you know, it uses uh, frequencies, um, frequencies of light and music and sacred nested geometries to create a coherent field. And when someone's in that field or environment, you're able to access uh, higher levels uh, of awareness and access information that um, when you uh, are disconnected, you don't have access to. So as we raise our frequency and vibration, we're actually able to access a new uh, toolbox, if you will, that has uh, the tools to help us um, navigate life more easily, such as answers to uh, so-called problems that we may have. Um, you can actually find those answers when you enter into higher levels of awareness and consciousness, because that's where the solutions to these so-called problems exist. So it's a wonderful piece of technology to uh, help people raise their vibration. And it's so easy because, guys, all you have to do is plug it in. They do all the hard work for you. They put it together and they send it to your house. You plug it in. I got mine playing right now. I use it 24-7. I love it. My pets love it. The birds outside love it. My plants love it. Ross, how can they find a core harmonizer of their own and get a special discount? Yeah, they can actually go to your website, uh, amyforner.com, and just enter FitAmyTV10 to get 10% off. I've heard Dr. Doug mention how freedom is super important to the driven. Um, I'm assuming that's uh, regardless of gender. So is it equally as important to women as men? Because I found that a very interesting point in that the whole freedom thing has traditionally been more associated with the male, the male part of all of us, you know, or even the masculine. So what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. Um, I do think that freedom is very important, both for men, driven men and driven women. Um, I, I don't have a ton of backing other than some, you know, verbatims that, that tell me why, you know, we don't have like scientific research on why freedom is more important, but I would definitely say that freedom is, is just as important to women as it is to driven men. Which I find so curious because um, being ambitious and high achiever and quote unquote driven could again conventionally be in the category of the masculine traits in all of us, you know, and as is freedom normally. So here where women, you and I, and probably most people listening are driven, but yet we are women and we also probably value our freedom, you know, in that traditionally women would be more the connection and the relationships and the tribe and everybody together. But I know freedom to me has been huge. It's, it's also been the source of some of my problems in my personal life, but it, I've always wanted and needed to feel free in that I had some sovereignty, not that I didn't want connection and responsibility, but 
it was always a driver to me. And I think more for me than the women in my life around me, it appeared to be, you know, I, I seem to be more um, in desirous of it than the women in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I I've noticed that too. And I think some of the, for the nuance for women, some of the shame comes, comes in there where we want things that are not as common for other women. And I just try to like, take it out of the identity. Like, it's not about me. It's about evolutionarily speaking, women had a very specific role based on their physical adaptation. Men had a specific role based on their physical adaptation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's more about that as far as the other 90%. That's why the other 90% operates that way. And, and this is just a special, you know, evolutionary adaptation for me that allows me to be something different. Excellent. And how about nature versus nurture? I mean, are people born driven or is it something due to their parents and, you know, maybe high demanding parents and expectations or, or, or maybe even trauma that happened to them that made them really want to show their worth after they were born? Yes. Um, nature and nurture, a combination of both, um, you know, not something that we can ever formulate for people like, oh, yours is 60% nature and 40% nurture. But generally we see both and there's a lot to be said for epigenetics um you know trauma from your ancestors that triggers these genetic changes in you um i found a lot of commonality in women is uh instances of trauma or chaos in childhood and not having that masculine protector present it's very much like a, i have to care for myself and you develop this internal locus of control you overdevelop your own masculine because it it wasn't there for you as a child and that's where we see a lot of the uh fear-based driven traits in adult women because they are they are pushing to get to a safe place because that safe place was not provided Wow. See, I would think that's like pandemic. Yeah. I mean, yes. I'm surprised then in this, in this uh, definition, there's not more driven women then because safety is a common theme in almost every one of my episodes, that word comes up. And it's, that's the mystery is, is how it's responded to, right? Uh -huh. Like, so, so nature versus nurture, is it a genetic switch that flips? Is mm. it what's being modeled, what causes some women to put on, pull up their bootstraps and say, I'm going to do this for myself. I refuse to not be safe. Mm -hmm. And some women to say, I'm a victim. The world happens to me, you know, like pushing toward the masculine, the, the wounded masculine versus pushing toward the wounded feminine. It's very, yeah. very interesting. Yes, I agree. And that's a question I've asked myself most of my life, you know, like why does, you know, same situation, same stimulus and people diverge one of two ways. And why is that? You know, I mean, just even the thing like, you know, same parents, two kids and one's totally different than the other one's driven. One's not whatever. Go figure. Right. Right. Um, but this is, I think this is really key. What we're talking about this, the, a, a woman's need to feel safe and uh, have some kind of sovereignty over her life and therefore maybe she's living more in her masculine energy and qualities and essence to the detriment of her feminine so what do you think about how 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 can we get more uh equalized inside how can a woman in that situation say well that's me well i have to provide for me because it's i'm a single mom or who's going to take care of me? You know, I don't really have a choice. I have to be that stronger masculine, but what can she do? That woman that wants to be more in her feminine, but maybe just says like, well, that's really nice, Megan, Amy, but I just can't, I don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is a, a good point for curiosity and reflection to say, you know, what, what patterns or what am I putting out there that, um, has put me in this position to feel like I don't have um, a masculine protector option, I guess. Um, and that's hard. That that takes some real like self-reflection and, and honesty. And, you know, you may find that you haven't given the opportunity for a man to do that for you. And it doesn't have to be a man or just a masculine uh, counterpart of some kind, or you haven't surrendered so that your feminine can can kind of take the lead 
Um, and I think another commonality that we see in driven women is even the concept of submission and surrender makes your skin crawl. Mm. And, and that is, we find very fear-based um, because again, you didn't, you weren't cared for in the way that you needed to be. Your psyche was not cared for. Um, so you over-evolve that self-protection and then it's terrifying to be so vulnerable as to surrender to, you know, to someone else or surrender to, to God and say, you know, this is out of my hands. That's really, really scary. And it makes our skin crawl. Um, but to safety again. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the only way I found the way out, um, is to go through that door, right? The only way out is through Mm -hmm. and to go through that door and say, you know, for, for me, it was my husband. I, you know, I'm fortunate that I already had that relationship. I'd already locked that in, mm-hmm. um, but hadn't done a very good job of surrendering so that my feminine could come through. And that was a big part of the work that we did together um, was me surrendering to him. And in doing so did not make me weaker, just made him accountable to providing that masculine and giving me the space to, to be safe and playful and let my feminine come through. This is so key, Megan. So many women struggle with this. Can you, without prying in your personal life, could you maybe give us a tangible example of what that looked like of you, all right, getting to surrender to your husband and, and going through it? Yes, I'll give, you, I'll give you an easy one. And this is what I started with. And I had to think of it all as experiments. Otherwise, it was, it was like too much for my allostatic load. Like I would get mm. too dysregulated if I thought of it in too permanent or too, or too important Mm -hmm. of situations. So I had to start with baby steps um, because I I had a lot of control in my relationship or I thought I did. I wanted a lot of control in my relationship because I didn't feel safe and I didn't trust him to do it, you know, to provide that for me. So um, the, my first experiment was saying, I'm just going to trust him on picking like food. So, you know, you get in that situation with your, your significant other, like, what do you want to eat tonight? Mm -hmm. And I would very typically be like, this is what I want. This is what we're going to have. This is what I think we should have. And I just said, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say, whatever you want, I trust you. And I'm going to let go of control of that decision. And you, you have to like, this is where owning your power comes in. You have to be okay with him making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Because like children, that's, that's the best way that we learn. And that's the best way they feel accountable to it. And so that's an easy place to make a mistake. Like you ordered Thai, I wanted pizza, but we'll get through it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but so starting to relinquish control of decision-making mm-hmm. and understand that he, I don't want to make the decisions. I want to feel heard on my input of all of the stimuli. And then I want to surrender the decision-making to you. And through trial and error, we get to a place where our partnership works much better because I observe a thousand things happening and I can give all of those inputs to you. And you have you know, the linear decision-making ability to say, we're gonna get tie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he must have proven his worth of your trust. Yes. Yeah. And that's where it starts out as faith. Like I have faith that, that you are my, that you are the right person for me and we can, we can get through this and then trust exists based on proof, based Mm -hmm. on evidence and based on him messing it up and then Mm -hmm. caring enough to come back and say, I'm going to get it right the next time. Nice. Which is key. Yeah which is key. You know, it makes me think too, you mentioned how you don't necessarily need the male partner to take on that role as protector. And these, you know, the women like, like me that had, you know, over-masculinized in order to, you know, take care of myself because I had to, it makes me think about probably all the women that turn to organized religion and thing for like the big daddy in the sky type thing for that Mm -hmm. protector. But I also think about how, what might be key is to really just establish that relationship with your soul and yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, that, and hopefully believing in something bigger, like that there is, there is a divine something out there that kind of is something that 
I can have a relationship with, well, it is me, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you have that connection of, and I like that you use the word faith. Um, but you know, as, as the Mormons say, pray, but move your feet, you know, mm-hmm. but you, you have, you have that. I just don't know how people in life get through without believing in some divine presence of something because yeah. life is hard. You know, I do, how do they do it? I don't what know. Do they attach? Yeah. What do they yeah. ground, ground themselves to? And I do think yeah. this can be an internal exercise. You know, we all have an internal masculine and internal feminine. And if you're in a place where you're going at it alone, developing both of those and knowing, you know, when to pull, which lever is, mm-hmm. is going to be really important. Um, Doug and I, like to say that they're the the toxic of masculinity or the toxic of femininity comes into play when the other is not present you can't have one without the other in the individual or in the relationship or yes okay yeah oh for sure oh for sure it's just a a, an imbalance right yes it completely that that yin yang that middle way you Mm -hmm. know it all has to do with having both and when they say oh that's toxic masculinity it's usually Mm. because it's an overemphasis of, and it can go the other way. You know, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Doug uses the example of putting a car seat in a car for a child. Like, is that masculine or feminine? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the feminine awareness of the care for the child. It's the masculine doing of putting the car seat in. Like the answer is yes, it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking too, when, when your example of, uh, you know, um, an over-masculinized woman and, and how, perhaps she can bring more of that feminine into her life and herself. And, and I was thinking if like back to the single mom, if she doesn't have the luxury to, to be more feminine every day, so to speak, and, you know, to give the decisions to someone else, cause there is no someone else, you know, um, that she can be that feminine for herself, you know, mm-hmm. in little ways in her life, in her own ways, just the way she takes care of herself, maybe when the baby's asleep or, or whatever her situation may be, you know, in little ways that we do things for ourselves and nurturing, like, okay, I'm going to, uh, you know, buy myself these flowers just because they're pretty and they make me feel good. It's a way to love myself or, mm-hmm. you know, book that appointment for the nails to get done or, or, or have sacred time in the morning. We're having tea and, and reading for just 20 minutes before my kids have to go to school or whatever. We can bring those feminine essences into our everyday lives for ourselves, even mm-hmm. if it's, we're not externalizing them is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it was uh, The Women Who Run With Wolves uh, mm. by Clarissa, uh, Kimp- Clarissa Piccola Piccola Essays. Essays. Mm-hmm. Yes, she, I believe, said that solitude is the key recharge for femininity. And and it, uh-huh. I, I found that to be very true, like having my morning meditation or having moments of solitude are really important to recharge for the job of being, you know, being with children is is exhausting in its own way. Mm-hmm. It's not tip, you know, it's not extrinsically productive, but, but it's, it's exhausting on your being. And that solitude is the recharge for it. I think. I've never heard her say that quote and I've studied a lot of her work. And isn't that the biggest I- irony, Megan? I mean, you know, because women are always known to be the the connectors, you know, the relationships and, you know, taking care of everybody else. And it's like, well, what do you know? And we also have a need to be alone sometimes and mm-hmm. sacred alone time. I love mm-hmm. it. It's so, so true. That's great. Why is it that self-sabotage is an issue for the driven people? Mm. I found that uh- interesting. I think that has a lot to do with just our, again, our biology and need for homeostasis, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to change would throw us out of homeostasis. And especially if we are driven because of some childhood trauma or because of chaos in our lives, that chaos is familiar, you know, that perception of ourselves is familiar. So to change it, is uncomfortable and foreign and we sabotage subconsciously so that we stay in that familiar place. Um, and I think self-sabotage is probably an issue for everyone because we all have that desire for homeostasis, but it is uglier and more extreme for drivens um, because we do have that high risk tolerance. We do seek out <laughs> dopamine, you know, we yeah. self-sabotage big. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it has a lot of collateral damage, that's for sure. Um, well, I found it interesting because in the quiz, uh, one of the questions said, do you view change as an opportunity or change as a lot of work? And I, I literally laughed out loud. I was like, oh, that's funny. Because, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, wow. I mean, what a difference right there mm -hmm. to, to where you're going to frame it, you know? And uh, I also found it really surprising with the, the, the quiz um, that social situations do not change my personality versus I can make people like me. Mm -hmm. So I was surprised to hear that drivens can be kind of chameleon-like. I would have thought they're, you know, almost like a strong personality and they're, they're, they're self-confident, so they're not going to quote-unquote, you know, change for other people type thing. But it, it, it seemed that, no, it's, they were, they're able to make everyone like them. They're adaptable. They're very adaptable. They're the salespeople. Okay. Um, they're the, you know, the personalities in the room. And again, a mm -hmm. lot of that has to do with, um, what may have happened in childhood. If they had, um, a, you know, if they were responsible for parents' emotions, so mm -hmm. they had to yeah. change who they were in order to not make mom mad or not make dad mad. And, and that skill transfers to adulthood and being able to adapt to the room that you're in. Wow. That's just, wow. I just got to take that in for a minute. Really? So feeling responsible for your parents' emotions can result in you kind of always adapting in your life. Yeah. Like our biology is so smart. Like, yeah. you know, you, you don't even do that consciously, but as a young yeah. child, you, you know, you're keeping track subconsciously of, of how you oh. act and how that makes mom and dad act. And if yeah. you have self-involved or, um, you know, emotionally unstable parents, you take that on as a child, you know, to, I have to, the way I act impacts how mom or dad behaves. So you learn to be very adaptive in the way yeah. you act. And then that can go to the negative because you disconnect from yourself and your, your locus of control is external. You're not checking in with you. You struggle with boundaries, you know, you're mm -hmm. a pleaser, uh, and you know, oh all these God. things manifest in adulthood. And, and that, I think that's why we get so much feedback on the book. Like, oh, this is a really uncomfortable biography of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Be, because you see, you know, these things that happen and how they manifest as an adult and you wouldn't ever necessarily know like, oh, you know, I guess I did my, like, uh, we see a lot with parents who, you know, abuse drugs and alcohol. Um, we see those very adaptive characteristics in adulthood because as children, if dad came home drunk, I have to act a certain way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 So much, so much of us is just on our childhood that, you know, well-meaning people just had no clue that was mm -hmm. shaping us. And, mm -hmm. but this can all be turned around, right? I mean, in your work, let's talk about a little bit about the solutions. Like how do you guys actually go about, well, I guess you're what, probably trying to balance the overdriven person, the fear driven, or, or tell us about exactly well, how you help people. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of healing involved, uh, because, you know, like you said, well-meaning people mess it up. We all do. Yes. Um, and it's coming in and, um, understanding, you know, the concept of God as grace. Yeah. you know, and making the assumption that everyone is doing the best that they can. And if they were doing the best that they can, the cycle can stop with you. And, and, and then it's empowering them with agency, you know, loving that child, understanding that something happened, you know, that safety wasn't provided, but the, the cycle can stop with you because otherwise it just perpetuates on to the next generation. Like you can blame your parents and not change, but then you just impact the next generation in the same way. So if you can forgive them, love that, that version of yourself that had that experience, understand that the lead is the gold, I think as Young said, and, and choose to have agency and heal yourself then that's where that's where all your power lies um and and it gives you a deeper understanding and compassion for when you see it out in the world yes so true yeah i think that's very powerful Hey everybody, hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm here with my friend Hannah Marabani from Seab and Solus. Amazing, my favorite skincare 
self-care, pet care, beauty company. You actually refer to having sacred ingredients. What do you mean by sacred ingredients? They become sacred in a sense that we do not allow the soil to get tampered with. We allow nature take its course on this soil and allow the ingredients to bloom on their own without us tampering with any sorts of chemicals and fertilizers and pesticides. And the type of water we use, it's well water from right from the farms. And that well water is very clean. It doesn't have any toxicity from the city. So what gets absorbed into the soil is proper nutrition that we put in that comes directly from the farm, from the plants that we plant and from the animals that we have and the water that is pure coming from Mother Earth. Please try it out. Seb and Solace, enter the special coupon code FITAMYTV10, all caps, at checkout and you'll save 10%. But what about the person who says, well, you know what? I'm not driven enough. Like, can you help people do that? I mean, or what, what are the steps or is it even possible to become a driven person? Um, I don't know. I, I've not been in a situation where somebody has come and said like, Hey, you know, I want to be driven. Um, usually yeah. people are driven and they want to right. be happier. Yes, <laughs> less driven. <laughs> yeah, or people are not yeah. driven and we just seem like psychopaths to them. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty much. Okay, so you don't see that a lot. So you're really, it's really about, you know, pulling it back a little bit and helping people with boundaries yeah. and, and making sure that why the not fear-based. Yes, know? and what I, what I do see, especially in women, is a refusal to acknowledge that they are driven either because they, they don't think they're worthy of it, which is all kinds of twisted. Worthy of what? Worthy of the success? Uh, worthy of the definition, worthy of like a reasonable response for why they are the way they are. Like they they choose to believe that they're broken, not that they're driven. They view, oh, wow. they view driven as something that's really, you know, gifted. Yeah. And they, they couldn't possibly be worthy enough to be gifted. And those are the most fun women to work with, um, like seeing, their perceptions of themselves change like no you you have like in your body you have these genetic qualities that can be so great you're not broken yeah it's a positive yeah so i would say if, if we're seeing someone that's quote unquote like not driven enough it's mm -hmm. because they are driven and their shame is so thick that they don't think they're worthy of that kind of explanation yeah. for what's going on Wow, that's so true. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say, you know, for me growing up in the in the era that I did, I mean, driven was definitely a masculine thing. So it wasn't really that celebrated for a girl, you know, because it was, I don't know, just girls weren't really raised to have a lot of ambition like that. I mean, other than, you know, maybe you could be a mom or a nurse or a teacher, but, you know, to really be driven was... You know, it's like, it wasn't like, oh, career, career. It was always about, well, family, family for women, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting to hear that so many women are. And maybe subconsciously, there's a lot of women who struggle with, with validating that in themselves. Like, what, the what's wrong with me? Like, why do I care so much about a career? And why can't I have it all? Are they mutually exclusive to have a really healthy, happy family home life? But still have an amazing kick-ass career. And is it even possible with 24 hours in a day, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're, you're doing that yourself. So yeah, what I'm, I'm literally sitting here with my nine-week-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, I'm trying to, but to, to, to the outside world, you are. So would you have any tips to women and how you can do that, how you can have both cylinders down, you know, a, a fulfilling, committed career and still feel in your mind that you're a good mom and, you know, you're happy at home? Yeah, I would say doing doing the work to be curious about your drivers and first first addressing guilt. I think we as women have a lot of guilt. Yes. Um, so I have tried to, and I think so much of our perception of the world hides in language and how mm -hmm. we define things. So, you know, career. Well, how can I define career? And does career mean that I work 60 hours a week? Um, you know, and and really forcing myself to define things a little bit differently and, you know, figure out what's important right now so that I don't feel guilty about 
not, you know, pursuing a work opportunity because I think I need to be with my child. Um, or I don't feel guilty going on a work trip because, you know, it, it fills my heart's passion. I'm not trying to, you know, fill my self-worth bucket with it. Yes. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, it sounds like you've, you've basically done the work, Megan. What I've been hearing you say today is that, you know, you, you, you mentioned journaling, asking yourself a lot of questions, like you're just, you, you have kind of made yourself to, to be who you are now, to be in this position in your life. So it's very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely continuous. Um, yeah. And I think the, the part that gives me the most agency and I hope everybody can, can understand is that we have, you have the answer for yourself. Only I had the answers for myself and it's just getting uncomfortable and being willing to find them. Um, and that, that gave me um, a sense of agency uh, and then just having the humility to say that it's a continuous work in progress. I'm constantly peeling back layers and finding new truths. And um, it's it's a mastery path. You know, we're never done with it. Yeah, as long as we're alive. And, and I'll add, too, you also have to be brave enough to heed the answers. Oh, yes. Because yeah. a mm-hmm. lot of times we, we ask the question and we might even get the answer. And we don't like, like it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, God, I can't do that. This would happen. Yeah. This, yeah. So it's yeah. like, be careful. You might get the answer. And I think that's why driven driven people are especially adept for this work is we we are usually willing to say, okay, that's uncomfortable, but I'll do it. Yeah. Well, I think, too, when you get uncomfortable enough, with what you, the way your life is, you, you, unfortunately, you have to get to the point where you're like, I'll do anything. It has, I can't keep doing it like this, that breaking point. You Was know. it desperation breeds innovation? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> you got a lot of great quotes. I, I just, they're all stored in here haphazardly. Yeah. And most of the time, I don't know who said them. But <laughs> Awesome. No, it's excellent. All right. So you've said you don't have to d- demand your value. You already have it. You just need to own it. So mm-hmm. as we come to a close, I would just love if there's any more thoughts you have to help women, because I really think that's the crux of all of this, not only feeling safe, but really this intrinsic value and in feeling your worth so you can project it and see it being reflected back to you in the world. Any tips on that, Megan, just as we close here, owning your owning your value? I can't emphasize that enough that, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's definitely a movement for women to demand their power. And we already have it. We already have it. And uh, it's just owning it and asking ourselves, being curious enough to say, how is my bias, you know, you know, changing my filter on the world that I don't see this value, that I don't, that I don't own this power, or I don't recognize what this power is. And just staying curious about that will lead you down a path of discovery. You know, everybody has their own, but lead you down a path of discovery that will change probably the way you see yourself, probably the way you see men, you know, probably the way you see the life experiences that you've had. Um, And as long as you can sit back and be an observer of that, just a curious observer, um, your world does a total 180. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. What a great answer. This has been amazing, Megan. Thank you so much. Are there any final words that you want to share with the audience today that we didn't talk about? If you have that that feeling that you don't quite belong, especially if you're a woman and you're saying, you know, I don't know how to do it all, or I have dissonance about what a traditional female role is versus who I want to be. Um, you're probably driven and uh, I would encourage anyone to go take our assessment at iamdriven.com. Um, you're not broken. There's a home for you. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. So true. Yep. And I took that online quiz and it was, I was, like I said, I giggled a few times. <laughs> I was yeah. It was actually nationally normed. Um, we had it nationally normed oh. uh, and it truly is like less than 10% of the population that is driven. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I can't believe it's that low. Yeah. I know. Like you surround yourself with mirrors. So what? You driven, driven people are like, what? No uh, way. Totally. 10, 10 less than yeah, 10%. Less than 10. Yeah. No wonder why. Well, I did mention how the women in my, around me was like, I don't know. I just seemed like I was the unusual one. Like, you know, you know, Amy, she's doing that. Unlike the rest of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Oh, wow. But less than 10%. That's a shocker. I know. Yeah. Wow. 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 All right. And uh, let's hear your website and a book and the new book. When's that going to be out or anywhere else you want to direct the audience, please? Yeah. So everything, everything we do and um, Dr. Doug's book driven uh, can be found at IamDriven.com. We are working on a new book, um, you know, based on, based in identity. um, And that is slated to come out uh, sometime, um, probably September of 2023. Oh, awesome. So not that far away. No. Mm -mm. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been excellent, super um, insightful for me. I know it definitely is going to help the audience and everybody. Please share the show with someone you think it might help. And Megan, thank you so much again for being on Awakening Aphrodite. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. Okay, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are? If so, please subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend. And if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at FitAmyTV, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V, and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also FitAmyTV. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.